This is the Fearless Presentations Podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hello and welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and fearlesspresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute, and this podcast is really there to help people just like you get rid of public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. So today's hot topic is how to how to create an entire fortune speaking for a living. And I'm going to give you some of my inside secrets and, and in fact, some things that I learned over the years that I wish to God somebody had taught me early in my speaking career. Uh, by the way, this is podcast number 32. So if you want the show notes, note show notes, go to fearlesspresentations.com slash 32. And if you stick around for the last, I would say the last five minutes or so of the podcast, I'm going to share with you a way to kind of take, to get, really design an enormous amount of content in about a third the time so that you can you can kind of market yourself much better as a professional speaker if that's what you're looking to do. This podcast is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. And by the way, we offer three five-minute videos on fearlesspresentations.com that will help you analyze your strengths as a, as a speaker, identify where your nervousness is coming from and, and how to conquer it. And also, it gives you the pros and cons of different types of presentation skill development programs. Each one of the videos is less than five minutes long, and they're, and they're absolutely free. All you really have to do uh, if you're a podcast listener is just go to fearlesspresentations.com. And then on the homepage, you'll see a big YouTube screen. Just register with the site and you'll get access to all three videos. So let's get started with today's hot topic. Hey there, today's hot topic is how to make an absolute fortune speaking for a living. And I'll kind of tell you a little story to get us started. I went to college at Texas Tech University and I studied business. And then three years into my degree, my dad invited me to a business conference where I, where I got to hear, it was about a dozen or so professional speakers you know, that got up on stage to, to tell us about how to be better business people. You know, I was studying business, so I thought that'd be a good place to go. And I remember asking my dad at the end of the first day, there was a guy named Bob Berg that spoke, which by the way, I've gotten to know Bob over the, over the last few years. And he's a fan, not only is a fantastic speaker, but he's also a, just a really good guy, but but I kind of turned to my dad and I said, that guy, Bob Berg, who, who spoke about networking, what does he actually do for a living? Because I was thinking, you can't make a living just networking with people. you got to have a business to actually network. And my dad kind of looked at me and he said, well, I mean, I guess he just speaks now. And that was kind of confusing to me. I'd, I had no clue that you could actually make a living just speaking. And so I kind of turned turn back to dad and I said, well, no, I mean, like, how does he make money? I mean, how does he, how does he live? And my dad laughed and he said, I'm sure he makes pretty good money off of his books and recordings and seminars and stuff like that. But I'd bet that he makes most of his income from, from speaking. Now I love my dad, but he was actually flat wrong about that point. And I'll kind of explain that later on in the, in the session. Um, however, that conversation started me down a road that has allowed me to help hundreds of thousands of people 
eliminate public speaking fear and increase their income at the same time. And below, basically what we're going to cover here today are just a few things that I've learned over the years that, that can help you do that too. So if you want to be a professional speaker and you want to make an absolute fortune speaking for a living, the first thing that you have to kind of realize is that the person who stands up to speak is always considered to be the expert in, in the room. Um, about two years after I started the Leaders Institute, I was speaking at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and an area manager for one of the big financial planning companies uh, offered me a job, basically on the spot. And I was a little surprised at the offer. It was actually a, a pretty generous offer as well. And uh, but I didn't. And the reason I was so surprised is that I didn't even recognize who this guy was. Uh, apparently, he had been in my audience on three separate occasions, though, over the last year, and he was pretty impressed with how well I spoke, and, and especially since I'd been speaking on different topics each time that he saw me. So um, this was still pretty early in my speaking career, so, you know, that offer was a pretty good temptation. It was, like I said, it was pretty lucrative. He basically wanted me to be the main speaker for his sales guys. He wanted he wanted me to hold a big financial planning seminars and 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 of course have me be the main speaker. But his thought was that once I was able to kind of captivate the audience and build that rapport with his potential clients, then he could have his salespeople you close the deal with each one of the audience members. And I had to explain to him though that although I was honored to to for, about the offer, I was honored by the offer. I didn't think that his plan was actually going to work. You know, first of all. The topics that I speak on, the reason I speak on those topics is because I'm the expert on those things, I, or I am an expert anyway on those things that I was speaking. The reason why people would have me speak on public speaking, fear, or leadership development, or building a strong strong team culture is because not only have I actually studied those topics in depth, but I also have years of firsthand experience to, to draw from. It's That's real world experience that is very helpful when I, when I do my presentations. And I know nothing about financial planning. I've never done that in my entire career. Uh, second, and really the most important reason why I thought this might not be a good idea is if I were able to become an expert at financial planning, which, you know, if I, if I set my mind to it and I spent some time, I, I could probably do that. I didn't really want to, but I, I probably could. But if I was able to become an expert at financial planning and then present those ideas effectively, the moment that this manager sent his salespeople to follow up with the audience members, there would be a dramatic kind of disconnect w between between what I was saying and what they were saying. If if he didn't feel comfortable enough to have any of his salespeople actually conduct the seminar, then why on earth would he be comfortable with them speaking to the potential clients, right? So I suggested that he have me train his salespeople. That way, any one of them could actually lead the seminar. It was a much better solution than what he was asking for. You know, you know, I, and I was pretty confident that uh, that you know I can I trained tens of thousands of people to speak in front of a group. I can pretty much train anybody to speak in front of a group. That's not a hard skill to develop. In fact, if you go through a really simple step-by-step -step process, you can do that fairly easily. It's like I said, it's not a very difficult thing. Learning everything there is to know about uh, financial planning, that's a little bit more difficult. So so it was much easier for me to teach them how to speak in front of a group and give him lots of options than for me to train uh, or, or for me to uh, learn to be a financial planner. It would have worked out much better. Um, I came across a quote by Ben Johnson once. He said, to, to speak and to speak well are two different things. A fool may talk, 
but a wise man actually speaks. So the key to being seen as the expert when you speak is to be not only clear, but also be confident. And if you have trouble with either of these, just make sure and register for one of our public speaking classes and register for a fearless presentations class or do some coaching with us. Because like I said, we can, we can help you. Um, the next thing that you want to keep in mind is that most professional speakers are teachers, or trainers, you know, or and or trainers, I guess. Um, everyone wants to be a motivational speaker. You know, there's the, everyone who kind of gets the taste for speaking wants to be one of those motivational speakers. Be like a, a, a Les Brown or a Zig Ziglar or a, or a Dale Carnegie or or you know Norman Vincent Peale. Those guys. Um, the real truth is that in all reality, very very few professional speakers ever get paid just to stand up on stage and actually motivate people. In fact, you'll find very few professional speakers, even keynote speakers, who are listed in their program as a motivational speaker. There are some, and there and the the ones that are really good actually get paid extremely well for for that specific skill because it is a very difficult skill to master. But most professional speakers are actually teachers. They get paid to impart knowledge or a skill to other people or to a group of people. Now, this this group actually includes elementary school teachers, middle school, high school teachers, professors, lecturers, trainers, and and in many cases consultants. So, if you are a teacher or if you want to train others, you know the the following tips are some things that can kind of help. One of the best kind of secrets to success for trainers and teachers that I've kind of learned is that you really have to get your audience involved in the presentation. For instance, when I say the word lecture, what what kind of image immediately comes to mind? You probably have an image of somebody sleeping in a, in a in the back of a classroom or something like that, right? Um, if if you're you know so if your thoughts are like boring or dry, you know that's probably you know some of the first few ideas that kind of pop in to uh, to a person's head when they hear the word lecture. A lecture typically is a one-way communication going from the speaker to the audience without really a whole lot of consideration for what the audience needs or wants. And that's the a lot of times when you hear um, professors in in college, especially when they're in those big three hundred person rooms, uh, then the, a lot of times they're going to have that type of of uh, effect on people. One way communication. Um, one of the things that ben, Benjamin Franklin said in his autobiography is he said, "Tell me." and I may forget. Teach me, and I may remember, but involve me, and I will learn, right? So the the key to really becoming a good teacher or trainer or speaker is to get that audience involved. And that's, that's, that's the way people really learn. Um, people learn when they're having fun. So the more that you can add some humor and interest in something that actually gets your audience into the, the presentation, the easier it is for them to actually follow along and kind of learn some of the things that you're teaching them. So um, one of the things that I've kind of used really since day one as a speaker is an opinion-asking question. If you ask the audience for their opinion, number one, everybody's got one. And a lot of times people are very vocal about their opinion. So that technique actually works really, really well. In fact, it's one of the, te- the techniques that we teach uh, in our in our uh, presentation class, in the Fearless Presentations class. Um, we, we, we kind of teach our class members that if you design a really good bullet point that is audience focused, that really has the audience in mind when you're when you're creating it, then you can pretty much just just get your audience involved in the in the presentation by taking that bullet point and turning it into a question, especially an opinion asking question. So, like for instance, um, the title that I kind of gave you a few minutes ago was was get the audience involved in the presentation. So I can tell you 
that I'm going to tell you about that. Or I can ask the audience what their opinion is of that bullet point. And so I might change that into a question by changing it to something like, so what are some ways that you have seen good presenters or what are some things that you've seen good presenters do to get the audience more involved in a presentation? So again, it's just an opinion asking question. And then basically what I can do now is I can feed off the audience. When I hear somebody from the audience tell me one of those things that they've seen somebody do that was really good in front of a group, then I can kind of elaborate on that thing. So it makes the audience really more involved because they're actually helping me create the presentation as I'm delivering it. So it makes it much more fun for them, much more interesting. And we're covering things that specifically that they're specifically inclined to because they're feeding me that information. So um, in addition to the audience involvement question, um, another good teaching technique is to use a demonstration or an activity that can also kind of wake up the audience, especially if you kind of see them dozing off. Um, one of the techniques that we use in our, in our classes quite often is to kind of teach something to the audience and then give an example and then have them create an example of their own. And a lot of times when we have our audience members create an example of their own, it typically is a little bit easier for them to do that is after they've kind of prepared a little, kind of get them up and to practice with somebody, to practice with a person next to them or, or put them in triads, you know, groups of three or something like that. That, that technique works really well because if yeah especially in a public speaking class one of the one of the reasons why people are coming to a public speaking class is because they're nervous about speaking in front of a group so if we give them something really complicated then have them get up in front of the group and try to do that and if they think they failed now all of a sudden their confidence is shrinking shrinking it's not growing so so this technique works really well in our public speaking classes because we can help them kind of get go through a kind of a run through with a partner and so now if we decide to have them come up in front of the group they've actually had some practice doing it so it's a much easier way to kind of do it to do a practice with a partner than to kind of get people up and just try to get them to participate like I, like I was talking about before just in the um, audience participation question so so different techniques though can work in different ways that or in, in some in better ways depending on how you've uh, kind of organized your presentation class or your presentations or your classes um, by the way the neat thing about the technique of practicing with a partner is that the technique actually gives audience members a chance to really develop the speaking skill but under a lot less pressure than someone would have if they were kind of put on the spot so it has a lot of great advantages um, my, my goal as a speaker, by the way, is to never speak for more than, say, five minutes without doing something that gets the inv audience involved in some way. And sometimes that's just something minor. Something, sometimes it might just be saying something funny to get, to get the audience to laugh, right? If I, if I can get the audience to laugh, at least now they're participating again. So sometimes it might be me telling a story. If I get a story or an example, it gets them to create that the, the image in their brain so they're they're actually involved. If I'm just giving a you know a bunch of bullet points or facts or figures, it's typically gonna bore the heck out of people. So you gotta get those the audience members involved in some way. Um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot on our podcast and a lot of our training programs, we teach about this in our public speaking class as well, is that you want to develop your content 
based on what your audience needs. So especially if you're a teacher, if you're a trainer, if you're a, a consultant, you want to really take into account what is it that my audience really needs and design my presentation based on the specific needs of, of the audience members. So a lot of teachers and trainers really develop their sessions by focusing on hey, what's in the lesson plan, <laughs> you know, and it's, or what does the lesson plan say that the lesson plan say that I need to cover in this in this particular session. So um, I, I give you example when I, w- I remember taking business accounting in college but I don't actually remember much about the class I do remember that was incredibly boring though you know I wish my professor had actually made that content more in tune with what I need today to actually run my business I, I probably would have paid a whole lot more attention the professor was really so interested in um, you know, uh, teaching the generally accepted accounting principles. You know, the way that the um, the, the 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 gap standard is is set up, um, and then he really kind of lost track of what is the real world application of some of the stuff that that we're covering here in class. And that's where he lost a lot of us. I mean, most most people were sleeping through that class, through most of it anyway. Um, the uh, I'm, as a business owner now, by the way, I really understand more about why the professor was covering the things that he was covering in that class. I just didn't understand it back then. No one ever explained it to me. Uh, so it, without understanding the why, I I never really kind of focused on the how. And that's one of the things that you have to keep in mind when you're designing your content as well is think about it from the audience's perspective. Why do they need to know this lesson that you're teaching them. What is it that they can pull from this in, in their life today? So a good teacher will ask that why and put that why into the lesson plan. For instance, um, when we teach about adding analogies into presentations in, in the, the fearless presentations class, we usually start with a statement like, you know, sooner or later, you're going you're gonna to be delivering a presentation that is really complex or really technical and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to look out at the audience and you're going to see the glassy eye look and you're going to see a bunch of blank stares and confused faces. That's going to be the perfect time for you to pull out an analogy because it's going to take that complex content and make it and, and make it a little bit more understandable. And by starting out the the analogy class in that way, it makes it to where now people understand the why of what we're doing and they pay more attention so they're able to use it in in a more effective way. Um, I I can tell you that that in addition to teachers, which is actually the biggest chunk of, of people that are professional speakers, there are many professional speakers who are actually just professionals who also speak on occasion. So these are going to be entrepreneurs. They're going to be professionals such as uh, they could be accountants or attorneys or uh, um, uh, architects or, or people that have a, uh, a, a professional um, career. And they use speaking as a way to either market to new clients or customers or to uh, sometimes they may actually speak at uh, for continuing education continuing education sessions and, and that kind of thing. So the absolute best way for, for professionals and entrepreneurs to develop a larger customer base 
is to speak more often. <laughs> that financial planner that I was talking about earlier in the in the session, he had the right idea. He was just trying to implement it in the wrong way. You know, and, and just between you and I, I, I've never been a big fan of having free seminars, you know, or, or have inviting people to come to a seminar where they're going to learn a bunch of stuff. I, most of the time, people are really skeptical about coming to, the, to a free seminar. And so I've always found that they, they don't really work as well as what you might think. However, when I first started doing leadership classes, uh, one of the great techniques or the best techniques that I had was when I would talk to people on the phone or when I'd go out and meet them in person, they would say, God, this sounds really good, but I'm not really sure it's going to work for me. I would have the first session. At the time, I was teaching a six-week leadership class, and I would I would just kind of let people come to the first session or at least the first hour of the first session for free. Say, hey, come to the first hour. If you like it, you can sign up right there at the first break. If you don't like it, you can leave and no harm done. And it was a great sales technique because it was a good way to, to give people a taste of what I was going to be teaching them and also let them know that they were going to be getting value in, in that session. And we had very few people that had ever showed up for those um, for those uh, those introductory seminars that didn't actually stay. I mean, we had a few over the years, but for the most part, it was, you know, almost 100% of the people who actually came ended up ended up staying and, and registering for the class. So, so an introductory class can work really well. We don't really do that anymore. Um, a lot of times... When um, when we want to give introductory sessions now, we just do it via webinar or or online. It's an easy way to get more people there, and it doesn't cost anything, right? It doesn't cost you don't have to rent a room or you don't have to do any of the stuff that's involved with um, with uh, putting on a, a big production that kind of thing. So it it uh, a lot of times that's that's a good way to kind of do it. Um, in addition to doing kind of introductory webinars and stuff like that, um, I'll give you some examples of things that I've seen in in other careers. Like, for instance, my dentist goes out and he speaks at elementary schools about oral hygiene. And every time he goes out to one of these sessions, he always brings just a ton of those little um, dental kits that well, I, they're just little um plastic bags, I guess, that have a zipper on them. And it's got a little travel size uh, toothpaste in there. It's got a tooth, a brand new toothbrush. It's got um, uh, floss in there, and it's got his card on the outside. So every one of those kids gets one of those, and so it's good marketing for him. So he's actually using that as a way for um, to to kind of market his business. Um, another friend of mine owns a, a CrossFit franchise, and he speaks to civics clubs about you know staying healthy as we get older and as we get busier and that kind of thing. Um, one of my first uh, trainers, the, one of the guy, first guys that actually worked for the Leaders Institute here, um, was a, he was the CFO of a local brewery before he came to work for me. And um, what, what he started doing, the way he got into speaking was he, um, on occasion, the um, the Certified Public Accountants Association would actually have him come in and do continuing continuing education sessions for the for the association, and he he liked it. He thought he he kind of realized he he had a knack for it, and then because of the position that he had at the company that he was working in, he would get people from those classes that classes that would ask him to come out and do consulting. And so for a while he was a he was a certified instructor for the Leaders Institute, but eventually he got to the point where he was just too busy. He was actually doing more consulting gigs than what he was able to do for us, and and he kind of took off on a on a brand new career. Um, and and it happened. A lot of that happened while he was still working uh, as a as a CFO. So he was able to kind of generate those classes while he was still working for his other company. Um, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of some of the others. I see. Anyway, I mean, it's just it, basically it's just your your um, 
your imagination as to uh, how to use public speaking. That's the only thing that's going to limit you as to how to use public speaking as a good way to kind of get in the door and create new business for yourself. Um, I, I can tell you, one of the the biggest lessons that it took me way too long to learn was that you really have to catalog your knowledge into different delivery forms. Uh, and and one of the reasons that I, one of the things I kind of taught in my leadership classes for years and years, and especially when, when I used to do a ton of management classes back before when it was just kind of me. And one of the things that I used to kind of teach my, my class members was that one of the most limiting things that you'll ever experience is your own success. Once you get to a point where you're really successful, you get stagnant because we continue to do what we've always done. And when the marketplace changes, we're kind of slower to adapt. And that's kind of where we were. I mean, because I, I, I kind of had a knack for speaking and I had a knack for training other speakers, it, I, I got to a point in my career where um, I, we were making, we had a lot of customers. We were making really good money. We had, we were working with 400 of the Fortune 500 cl- companies out out in, out in the business world, doing training sessions. And 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 um, the the biggest challenge that I found though was that there was only so much time in the day. <laughs> and when you trade time for dollars, you will eventually reach a point where your income will top out. And for me, I hit this wall quite a few times in, in my career, and I'm, I kind of have to beat my head against the wall a few times in order to to um, kind of fix it. But um, when I when I first started out, after I after I'd um, been in the corporate business world for a while, and and I'd gone into sales and uh, and had some success in sales, I, I uh, started working for a training company, and I became a really good salesperson for that training company, and also became a consultant, became a trainer for them. And because I was a, a contract trainer for this company, it was a, it was as though I had my own separate independent business under their under their kind of franchise or under their umbrella, which was great, you know, because it, it helped me uh, get into a lot of doors that I wouldn't have been able to get into. But because I was a a, a contract uh, contract employee for the for the company, uh, the way that I made money was by teaching classes for customers, and um, the uh, eventually I got to a point where there were only so many hours in the week, there were only so many days that I could be training, and because I was also the main sales guy for my or the only sales guy for my company at the time, then if I was out teaching for for a few weeks straight, then when I got back into the office, I had nothing to work on, you know. So I was basically starting over from scratch. So I had these big, you know, peaks and then and then big valleys as well in my in my income. So the way that I fixed that was I I hired a, a sales consultant. I saw I hired a, an assistant that uh, did a lot of the sales process for me when I was teaching or when I was doing when I was out working with clients or traveling. And that helped a lot. In fact, uh, we I pretty much doubled my income for my for my consulting company within a year of hiring that that um, that uh, administrative assistant. And but then I topped out again because again I ran out of time <laughs> in order to kind of do it. So when I started when I when I left that company and started the Leaders Institute a couple years later, I um, I, I kind of realized that. So I spent the first year really developing my curriculum and and getting really good at what I was what I was doing and I was out doing training session after training session after training session I was adapting it on the fly you know the reason why the fearless presentations class is so good is that 
it's not anywhere close to what it was when I started. When I started that that first two day class, I figured out what worked well, and then there were also some things that I did that didn't work so well. So I got rid of those, and because it was just me at the time, I was able to adapt on the fly pretty quickly and easily. So by the time I started bringing in other instructors, it was a whole lot. Uh, they they were getting a refined presentation, and then as more instructors started going out and teaching, we we kind of found more mistakes. We found better ways to kind of do things, and so we were constantly adapting the program, especially for the first ten years or so that we were teaching the class. But again, I got to the point where um, uh, just like I had when it was just me and my assistant, I, there were only so many of us that I could train to to kind of teach the uh, the classes that I was teaching. So again, we were just we were still trading time for dollars. It's just we had more people that were trading time for dollars. So our income was still increasing, but eventually we, we plateaued out again. And so that was what, what was interesting at that point was, uh, was that because I'd been speaking for a while, I had, um, I had a friend that, um, was also a professional speaker and he and I had a, just a chat one time and, and I was telling him how, man, I've just, I plateaued and I've hit this, you know, a couple million dollars mark and I haven't been able to overcome that. I haven't been able to bring in more than, than the couple million dollars that I've been bringing in every year for the last couple of years. And, um, he kind of looked at me and said, well, well, let's kind of talk about it. He said, I, he said, I've been where you are. And he said, how much of your income is from product sales? And I kind of squirmed a little bit because I knew that he was really big in, at the time, he was really big in online courses and webinars and and um, and uh, DVDs and CD packets and all those all that kind of stuff. And for me, it just that was just extra work, you know, to kind of create all that stuff. And so I I knew what worked for me. What worked for me was we were really, really good at teaching classes. Nobody in the world was better than us at teaching classes. And so by dang it, we're going to teach classes. And, uh, and I mean, I didn't actually say that to him. I just kind of said, eh, not much. <laughs> you know, it was kind of my response, but in my head, that's what I was thinking. And all of a sudden his jaw kind of dropped. You know, he was kind of, his mouth was open and he said, you make that kind of money every year just in in-person speaking? And I was like, well, yeah, doesn't, doesn't everybody? He was like, man, I don't, he said only about a third of my income comes from the actual in-person speaking. He said, you know, two thirds of my income comes from, from the, the content that I'm selling, the, the, um, the materials, the, 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 the repackaging of the content into forms that people are, are, you know, really want to kind of, um, uh, to, uh, they want to deliver to them. And, and um, he, so it was funny because at that time I I, I, I kind of started. He he really got me into creating the online courses. And the way that he did it, he said, "How many people Doug, come to your website, and they really want to attend one of your classes, one of your in-person classes, but they live in a city where you don't have one scheduled. They you might actually schedule one in that class, but they have a they have uh, in that city, but they have a presentation coming up before you're going to be delivering the next one. So what are those going to people those people going to do? And I said, well, a lot of times they'll come in and travel to uh, to one of our other cities and and go if it's really that important. And he said he just got a smile and he said, no, they're not. He said they're looking at your website and it's not doesn't have what they're looking for, so they're going to your competitor. And he said so so the the question is how many people. Are, are doing that every month. And I had to kind of look at him and say, yeah, I had to be, because I've seen my, you know, I, I have my, my analytics for my website and I'm 
tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people every month. And he said, dude, just get a videographer to go to one of your classes and then and then offer an online version of class just to those people and see what happens. And then I did. And my income, you know, jumped up pretty dramatically in a very short period of time. The um, you know, we have to be able to take our knowledge and put it, catalog it in a way that's going to help people no matter how they like to receive that knowledge. Some people like to watch YouTube videos. Some people like to listen to podcasts. Some people like to read blogs. Some people like to go to in-person seminars. Some people like to talk with people on a, on a one-on-one basis and get, and get coaching. Since all those venues are open, we can take the knowledge that we have that's valuable to people and provide it to, to our audience in all of those different ways. So, so, so one of the things that you can do is you want to repurpose that, that knowledge. And so once, once um, James and I had that conversation, I, I started thinking about some different ways that we can kind of repurpose some of that knowledge that we had out there. So um, it, it changed my entire outlook on the content that I was providing. So basically what he was teaching me was that you can repurpose the stuff. He said, so, you know, when, when, um, so like, for instance, if, um, let's say I've got a really good blog post that's getting a lot of, of, of um, it's getting a lot of views, on, not only on my website, but it's getting, it's getting shared on, on uh, Facebook and Twitter and a lot of the other social media and that kind of thing. If I'm seeing that, then now that is a good opportunity. We know that that content is valuable to people. People are really looking at that content. So I can actually take that content and record myself delivering it uh, visually with a video. And if I'm recording the video anyway, I mean, it's hard, it's got audio, so I can just take the, the video recorder, take the audio off, and turn that into a session of a podcast. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of take one piece of content and deliver it into into ways. There are very few people that are going to go on your website or or going to, um, you know, go to one of your training sessions and take and uh, listen to your podcast and watch your YouTube videos and read your blog posts. You know, most of the time they'll pick one of those things. And so if you're not providing your content into different formats, then your then your audience is only going to be getting part of, of what you're saying. They're not going to get the full picture. Um, so, you know, kind of look for ways to kind of repurpose that that content that you have, and it'll make it easier for you to kind of create more content that people want. The neat thing is, is that when you're doing this kind of work, you can, you, with the analytics that you have on your websites, if you're actually putting this in blogs and you're, and you're looking at the, the interaction that you're getting on social media, you can tell what the audience is really, is really uh, driving towards. So it makes it a whole lot easier for you to make changes to your content that really fit what the audience is looking for. Um, so the very last question that I, that, uh, I kind of want to cover on the, on this session is, is one that kind of comes up a lot. It's where, and this happens to a lot of folks that come into my uh, public speaking classes. They'll say, Doug, it's real easy for you to, 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 you know, speak and have great energy because you're speaking on something really cool, like public speaking training, which is ridiculous. Public speaking training itself is really boring. That's a boring topic. Nobody cares about public speaking training. What makes the, the content valuable and what makes it interesting is the way that we deliver it. You know, we, we got good at delivering content that was really boring in a way that people actually like it using some of the things that we've covered in this session. 
Um, so, so keep that in mind when, when you're thinking about your own career as well, and when you're thinking about your own content. Uh, a lot of times folks will come to me and they'll say, well, I really want to be a motivational speaker because, you know, I, I've been an entrepreneur and I've built my company up and I just want to help other people do that. And so if I, if I go out and be a motivational speaker, I might be able to motivate folks to kind of get off their butt and go out and do what I did. And I always, I mean, I always have the same response. I'm like, if you built up a, a if you're an entrepreneur and you built up a, 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 a business from scratch, that content is way more valuable than getting somebody motivated, right? I mean, if you can catalog that content, that's a whole lot more valuable to the marketplace. You'll get a whole lot more call for that. So keep that in mind. I'll give you an example from real life. I I was doing a a session with uh, a local box company here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called Bates Container. And and this was probably about a decade or so ago. And they actually called me in to do just a half-day kind of team-building activity. But one of the things that they wanted to do at the end of the the team-building activity was to recreate their mission statement. They had a a mission statement that the owner of the company, who was now retired, had created, you know, 20 years before, 30 years before. And it was a a pretty good mission statement, as mission statements go. But it was basically something that was kind of generic. It's like, Bates Container, or, you know, we want to be the absolute most fantastic, bestest, corrugated box company in the world, you know, something like that. It was was something that was really um, not very specific anyway, so... And they knew that the 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 new president of the company she knew that that um, if if they really wanted to grow that um, they they had to expand their horizons about what it was that they that they were actually doing. Um, the the so one of the things that I, that I, I did first to try to get them started in the right direction is I just asked a bunch of questions. And the first question I asked them was. What is it that you really do here? You know, what is it? What is it you do? I felt like the guys on uh, on Office Space um, that were. What, what is it that you do here, right? And the answer that they gave me right away was make boxes. That was the very first thing popped right out of there. We make boxes, right? Um, and I said, I said, well, okay, I know you make boxes, but what I really want you to tell me is what what do you do that helps your customers? Well, we help them by, with boxes. They need boxes and we make boxes, right? We help them use boxes. And as I, I, I must have asked that question about seven times. And then I know they were getting annoyed with me. I know that, that they, were, they were starting to kind of get a little um, short because they were like, yeah, we don't have a lot of time left. And, you know, we really want to get this mission statement written. But, um, but it, this was important in the process, though. And, I said, and and the the way that I got them to come to the correct conclusion was I asked them about a specific client, and they had one of their biggest clients was Levi's, and I said, well, what is it that you do for Levi's? Why does why does Levi's buy boxes from you? What do your boxes allow Levi's to do more easily? And that's when the penny kind of dropped. That's when they realized that they weren't in the corrugated box industry. They were actually in the transportation industry. They were in the the logistics industry. They were in the logistics business. They basically those corrugated boxes that they were producing was just one of the ways that would help their customers. It was a service they were providing that would help their customers get their products from one place to another in the in a marketable condition, basically. So if the if if they if the if Levi's tried to ship the box, ship the uh, the blue jeans without 
put them into boxes. By the time they got there, it would be a mess. They'd be a mess. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't be marketable. So by putting them in the box, it makes them easy to transport. It makes them easy to store. It makes them easy to uh, to kind of move from one place to another. And so once they once they um, kind of started thinking that way, it made it much easier for us to create their their new mission statement. And um, the one one of the and that that mission statement, by the way, changed significantly in the in the next 10 15 minutes or so what happened though was immediately after that conversation that 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 realization the the salespeople began to ask different questions of their clients you know prior to that 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 uh, session they had a set number of clients you know and they were always going out and looking for new clients but uh, apparently from kind of discussions with them the new clients were really really difficult to kind of generate so the best way to kind of grow the business was to try to get the current clients that they had to purchase more you know so if their clients were growing they were growing basically and so um, up until that point though when when the salespeople would call their clients, they would say, "Well, how many corrugated boxes do you need this month? You know, or what what are you you know what are you anticipating? How many antici- are you anticipating that you're going to need?" Well, with that with that type of questioning, it kind of limits the responses that you can get. So instead, they started they started asking different questions. So they started asking questions like, "Well, when you ship your products, what are some of the most important challenges?" that you're dealing with? What are some of those things that, those, those challenges that kind of keep you up at night on the, on the logistics side or on the transportation side? And by asking those questions, now the salespeople kind of move from being peddlers of boxes to being more of a consultant. And uh, they started opening up new lines of communication, new lines, new revenue streams with these customers. Because the interesting thing about the, the company that was kind of cool was that not only could they make like corrugated boxes right there, but they actually had corrugated plastic machines too. And they could make signs and all kinds of stuff. They, there was there were all kinds of things that they had the ability to do, but they, they weren't really marketing those things because they still thought of themselves as being a box company. So the question is, once these people made that change and then and and they increased their income significantly, how many other organizations are out there in a very similar kind of place that that information that they've now collected would be valuable for you know how many of those how many other companies are out there like that how valuable is that knowledge that this team has now developed i mean there are so many speaking careers that are launched in in the world based on success is much smaller than that one (laughs) i assure you and so when you accumulate knowledge that helps you create breakthroughs that knowledge becomes very very valuable in the business world and when you can market that when you can repackage that when you can create uh, different forms of content then uh, now you've moved in from being a a um, a um, a startup speaker to being a professional speaker and i encourage you to have lots of successes out there um and just so you know if you uh, we we um we have a bunch of new content coming out on the podcast and on our our video channel so if you go to our video channel on youtube if you just go to youtube and you look up fearless presentations you'll find our video channel um we also um one of the the best ways that we have for coming up with content is just questions that people ask us on Facebook. So if you haven't yet liked our Facebook page, go to 
to um, to Facebook slash Fearless Presentations or just tweet us F, at FP Class, Fearless Presentations at FP Class. Just send us a question. Um, we, we like to answer all of the questions uh, that, that we get from Twitter immediately. And so we, we've got, uh, typically we've got three or four different instructors that are available to answer questions if you if you send them to us on Twitter or, Twitter or on Facebook. If for some reason you don't get an immediate response, have heart because there's a good chance that we're probably going to cover that specific question. It might be something that's a little bit too complicated to answer over Twitter or Facebook, and we'll probably do that on one of our future podcasts or on our our video channel. So look forward to working with you in the future. Um, Go ahead and subscribe to the uh, Fearless Presentations podcast if you haven't yet yet done that. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and ask us a bunch of questions on our social media channels, and we will be happy to help you in any way we can. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.